Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International. And uh, if you're tuning in today, you're tuning in for our podcast series, the Security Leaders uh, podcast series that we're doing for CSA. And uh, I am really excited to introduce a friend and colleague, a true pioneer in the industry of securing industrial control systems, Paul Forney, Chief Security Architect at Schneider Electric. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you so much for having me, Derek. I'm uh, I'm really honored to be here, and uh, thank you for that very nice introduction. I certainly don't deserve it, but uh, but thanks anyway. I'm glad to be here. Well, I I think uh, as it'll come out in this interview, I think it's well deserved. There are uh, people who really can say they are pioneers. They have to go back when uh, a lot of people didn't take seriously the security of these systems, and uh, and there there was a small number of people who were saying, "Hey, we we got to do something about this," and you're you're in that. Uh, you're definitely in that in that group. Uh, but we'll get to how that kind of how that started. Uh, well, thanks for coming. Let's let's. Uh, the goal of the, of the series is really to put a human face on security leaders from uh, across industry, across verticals, across geographies, uh, as much diversity as as we can you know we can represent, and see what commonalities, what decisions you made, what things and elements played a role in your uh, you know professional journey. So every superhero has a backstory. Where did you start out? I don't mean business or security. I mean, where'd you where'd you grow up? Where are you from? <laughs> I'm uh, the uh, son of a cryptographer, actually. Back when, uh, I mean, they didn't pay cryptographers a lot back then. But uh, my dad worked for military intelligence, and I uh, was dragged all over the world. Uh, he worked for uh, the, you know, of course, the Air Force, uh, military intelligence. His last post was the Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado. People I uh, used to ask, uh, what did my dad do? And uh, I would say, uh, you know about, you heard about the man that pushes the button? And I, and they say, yeah, yeah, of course. I said, well, my dad made sure the button worked. <laughs> you know, so he was one of those guys, uh, systems uh, type engineer. Uh, you know, he had a phone in his car before there were phones in cars, uh, the red phone by his bed. Um, and of course, you know, he, he couldn't talk about what he did. But uh, he gave me the basics of what uh, encryption was all about and uh, my first uh, coding ring and I'd have to understand the, um, how to to actually uh, protect documents and protect information. And, and whenever I told him, I said, Dad, you know, something slipped out into the newspaper. I mean, uh, look at this stuff that you guys, uh, you know, get, let get out. And he says, son, if, if you're reading the newspapers, we put it there. So he was uh, he was uh, quite serious about his job, and um, but anyway, that's I started out in that type of a life. But um, and he wanted me to follow and be an engineer. Uh, I started studying engineering, but um, you know, as a, as a young kid, I was very rebellious. Uh, you know, I uh, I left home at sixteen and uh, was a rock and roll musician, and so I spent a lot of time uh, playing. Uh, being a musician and traveling all over the world as a, you know, as a bass player on model different types of music, but always kind of had this technology, you know, desire in my, in my path, you know, learning Fortran, uh, then going to, uh, you know, COBOL and, uh, and not being able to actually work in those fields. But, um, but basically when I finally did go back to college and graduate, I was, I, I went right into industrial control systems in 1990. So uh, I still play, by the way, uh, still enjoy it. I still have a small band and now it's more or less <laughs> something I don't do to, to pay the mortgage anymore, but uh, but I still love it. And it keeps a good balance, right? It's, it's that switch you uh, turn off at the end of the day when you want to stop thinking about cybersecurity. 
So it's a little difficult to think about vulnerabilities and play the upright bass at the same time. So, you know, but anyway. Well, you my thunder. I was definitely going to tease that out of you because I know that about you. The music, <laughs> the music part of your uh, part of your, your story. And uh, and I think, aren't you part of some sort of um, effort to play, to raise money for, uh, for children's causes? Uh, yes, I am. I, I'm part of a group called the uh, Jazz Execs, and it's a consortium of musicians that they play really good gigs. I mean, they get real good money. We have to wear tuxedos and suits and stuff to play the gigs. And uh, But uh, everything that we make goes into a consortium, and uh, it goes towards um, helping underprivileged children buy musical instruments, get, get classes and playing, and, and schools themselves be able to get. Uh, so we, we raise quite a bit of money. Uh, there's a whole group of musicians that do it. It feels good about, you know, giving back, giving back to uh always take you when you were younger, but I enjoy doing that. And I also have a, a trio that's, uh, you know, straight jazz guys and uh, they're real good players. They're all kind of like me. We're professional musicians turned engineer or lawyers. They're both lawyers and stuff. So yeah, that, that keeps the things going too as well. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. For me, that's, that's scuba diving. I, I'm a scuba instructor and, and I, you know, awesome. there's no money in that really, but man, I love doing it and teaching people to scuba dive. So, you know, it does that. I think that I don't know my right brain, left brain, uh, which one qualifies for what, but I know keeping balance, like you say, is pretty, pretty critical. Exactly. Um, I think it helps us in our, in our business as well, because, you know, being able to think out of the box and, uh, yeah. and, you know, not be, you know, kind of pigeonholed in the way things have always been done. And, you know, I, I kind of get that a lot. But hopefully I reach to that other side of my brain sometimes and uh, and say, well, what if we try this, you know, and what is it going to sound like if we put these two chords together type of a deal and apply that same type of uh, thinking to cybersecurity and industrial automation. And, and hopefully we'll come up with some good solutions to, to solve yeah. this enormous problem that we have. Right? Yeah, well. Paul, I, I agree with you. And I think I'm always looking for in these interviews, the little nuggets to pull out that someone listening anywhere around the world could say, oh, that I can apply that to, to my story. And so this is maybe one of those first nuggets, which is that idea of don't be so single focused on a thing and let that eclipse your life. Have some other elements in your life. I think that's a common thread with a lot of people. I mean, certainly a lot of energy and effort early on learning things and mastering a, a, an area of skill and discipline is, is important, but it's important to have things that round you out, I suppose, to, to, uh, as a human being. Right. Exactly. My friend, Mark Fabro, he's a, he's a bass player as well. Right. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of musicians in, in cyber that I found are in engineering in general. So yeah. uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's something to it. I love these interviews because I get to figure those, you know, hear those things. In your case, I knew about jazz already, but I, I don't always know. And I'm like, oh, wow, you're a cook, you know, and you, you know, that's so it's great. Uh, it, that's awesome. So let's talk about you're moving around the world. Uh, I, I couldn't help but think of your dad and the button and thinking process control. If there's any process that needed control, that would have been one of them. Where does your, you know, high school or college, when do you start deciding to formally learn about, you know, technology? What's the choice you make first? I don't know. I, I, I started, uh, I'll show you how old I am, I guess, you know, but uh, I was always supposed to be an engineer. So I started to, um, college in 1969 as an electrical engineer. And so, but, uh, you know, I think growing up in my life, there were other engineers in the family and successful ones as well. You know, the inventor of GPS, uh, the you know, designer of the, uh, the, the, uh, the, um, the waterworks for, um, for Brasilia, you know, 
famous engineers in the family that my dad was always saying, that's the direction you should go. You should be an engineer, you know? So, but, um, I still had that, that wild hair, so to speak, you know, and, uh, and my first year of college got into a band and the band got a, a record deal. And next thing you know, I'm out there touring. Wow. But uh, anyway, I was after quite a while of touring um, and almost a million miles on the road, there was just kind of a bell went off in my mind. I was on the bus uh, coming from a gig and, and just kind of had that thought come into my mind that I wanted to do something else um, with my life in addition to music kind of thing. And so I, I decided just to get off the road and, um, uh, you know, sell my apartment in New York and sell everything I owned, kind of put my money together and go back to school and get my degree in electrical engineering. So I graduated in 1990. I have not regretted it at all. I mean, I went right into industrial control systems uh, out of college, eventually uh, moved into into designing um, security for um, internet portals and uh, the whole communication stack inside of that sort of thing. I wonder where you went next. <laughs> where, where did I go next? Um, I don't know. I'm still here in control systems. I, you know, I, I, I think control systems and, and, and orchestras. I think when I, when I was in college, I was, um, I have a minor in music. I played in the symphony in college, you, you know, uh, and, uh, in, in control systems are, are very similar, right? You have all these valves and pumps and, and data moving around and a lot of different places, all distributed. And, uh, you know, so it's exciting to be able to coordinate all that stuff and have it come with lots of lots of timing issues, just like there are in music. So, so I always found, um, industrial control systems fascinating and, and doing bigger ones and distributed ones, you know, cause I, I started out in pipelines, of course, you know, and, uh, when you have one end of a pipeline hundreds of miles away from the other, you know, you're offloading uh, ships at one end and piping fuel over to a, a big tank farm in the middle of the state. And, uh, and they have all these uplinks of, uh, of valve stations along the way. And just uh, all this kind of thing really gets your mind around this real large distributed computing. Uh, certainly be this was before the Internet was really big, of course, um, although it was happening. But all in all, I've always kind of had that affinity towards um, towards control systems, especially power. You know, I think I took uh, my first Fortran class when I was 15 inside of the Big Ben Power Station in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> you know, so I was just enthralled by all this machinery around me, you know, this huge place that was producing energy for such a large city as Tampa. And, uh, you know, bringing this all together and being part of that. I mean, that is always kind of was, was there as part of my mind. Right. So are, my computer keeps doing weird things here. Are you all right there? Are we still on? Yeah. Yep. That's just, okay. Everything's fine on my end. Okay. I think that's trying to install something here. <laughs> but, ah, hope it's not no a virus. Worries. No worries. So, um, yeah. so you, um, you, what, what did you study at school? I, I studied at the University of South Florida in Tampa. Yeah. And, uh, it's a very good engineering school, very large one. Uh, they had the, one of the best electrical engineering courses in the state. I did that. I, I went year round. I had two jobs. Uh, I never took a loan or anything, but, uh, I worked in a cabinet shop, um, after school as a, as a lacquer specialist. I would paint lacquer. So the, the carpenters would, would build all these, uh, you know, kitchens and wall units and things like that. And, and they'd be done for the day at four o'clock. So I had been going to school from nine to four, come in after they've left, paint all this stuff, and then 
go home uh, around midnight, of course, and then try and redo the whole thing in the next, uh, yeah. you know, next day. And then play um, play music gigs during the weekend that kind of keep supporting me, myself, my family while I was going to school. So it took me five years to get through it. And then, but coming out, I just wanted to work, <laughs> wanted a real job, you yeah. know, and be an engineer. Um, but like I said, I, I got right out of college and into a company called Engineering Design Technologies in Tampa, Florida. They're still there. I uh, still communicate with Bob Hallman a lot. Uh, gave me my start. Uh, he used to be uh, run, you know, SCADA systems in the North Sea for offshore oil platforms. And so I got had a, a very big influence in oil and gas uh, at that time. I still do. I, I still like offshore and, uh, you know, the platform ideas. And some of the patents that I've, I've come up with are around technology to 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 look for events that are happening on these offshore oil platforms, you know, they're coming from the pipeline from underneath the sea. So uh, I'm still excited about that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. So, so if we go, uh, if we go back to those first things, then this is really engineering and I, IT, and certainly not cybersecurity, is not yet intersected in your career path, your 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 journey, right? Yes and no, um, because at that time, you know, um, there was, I mean, Ethernet was just coming around uh, to be part of the industrial control system thing satellite communications, things like that. Industrial control systems were actually taking advantage of IT technology, very advanced IT technology at that time. So especially working in distributed environments, um, I got into MES real early. So where you would have, um, you know, the, uh, the manufacturing uh, company would be lo- located in Richmond, Virginia. They would ship orders over to El Paso and it would go across a microwave link into Juarez, Mexico. You have to download all this information into the plant, you know, and, and put up, make all the machines build whatever they told it to build and then reverse that whole process and send that data all the way back. So you're involved with IT, right? You're involved with big communication systems. Uh, and I have been early. I, I mean, right out of school, I also worked as a, you know, assistant type professor teaching Ethernet and teaching that Ethernet stack. And, you know, that. so I was always kind of around, um, you know, communications. My, my specialty in college and in electrical engineering was in digital communications as well. You know, so um, I've, I've always had that kind of foundational piece and I think control systems have needed it, right? Especially distributed ones, you know, that where I was working, you know, pipelines, uh, sure. offshore, um, and big, large MES manufacturers, uh, those type of systems that have to, to span the, the globe, basically, uh, you know, to get the data one way or the other and, and get these machines to build what you want and to reverse all that data, like I said, to tell the the, the, the company, what, what was actually built, what, what yeah. went wrong, you know, how, how many good parts, how many bad parts, right? That's all data having to move one way or another. And uh, that's part of control systems, right? It has yeah. to be, right? I, yeah, I, I they like don't just like do the same thing over and over. I'm sorry. Yeah, I like that you shared that. I mean, so it's, it's really this, this, this concept that uh, information technology has converged into this environment relatively recently. It's not entirely true that those things have been converging in very early on, just the, just on a more increased basis. Right. But, but you're right. You know, there's been an implication of this, I guess, for a long time. Where does cybersecurity crop up in your in your journey? Well, I think when I first I got into being the architect for 
an intranet portal, you know, an actually reusable portal um, product that you could could use in the industrial environment. It probably was a, you know, a faux pas, I guess, to introduce that into our world, but it was actually understood the, the problems that we had with or communicating to a control system using internet type technologies um, it had to be secure, right? So, so the idea of getting around and learning um, internet type technologies and bringing that the knowledge into control systems, you know, for me started somewhere in the 97, 98 timeframe uh, where we were uh, starting to build that and, and it gradually you know, became more and more. But it, it didn't really solidify my in my career till, um, I mean, that was just doing a job, right? You're trying to protect the systems, make sure nobody turns something on or turns something off that they weren't supposed to be authenticated, you know, when you have these two-way communication systems. And this was intranet at that time, you know, just using web, web technologies for that. But um, but the, what, what really brought me into cyber was um, was 9/11, you know. So uh, when that happened, um, I don't know if you know there was there some of us were around and at this meeting that was being called in Houston, Texas. Um, uh, and I know some of my friends that are still around doing this stuff. Uh, Joe Joe Weiss was there. Um, they they invited people from around the um, control system world, the vendors, the big vendors and control systems, to come to a meeting that the government was sponsoring to um, to talk about the possibilities that there would be an attack on the critical infrastructure. The company I was with said, "Well, we need to send send somebody, and you had written a paper on security, so why don't you go?" Right? So. So I actually went and spent the whole day talking about all these possibilities of how control systems could be hacked, all these back doors, you know, right? You got modems to be able to jump into the systems and configure them remotely, which I've done as well, <laughs> you know, having to, instead of go driving four hours to some valve station on a pipeline, of course, I'd want to use, uh, could do it from home. But anyway, that after that whole talk on 910, Right. Then, um, you know, we woke up the next morning to the, the planes flying into those the towers and uh, it just kind of like cemented everything in my brain that that this is a field that I need to get serious about, you know, and then try to dedicate my career into cyber. And uh, and it's it's been, uh, you know, a growth from that time. Right. I mean, I definitely have moved from being a software architect and designer of control systems and, and control products to thinking about more about how to secure these products, you know, with the security development life cycles, um, you know, how, how to put the right mechanisms in place to protect the data, you know, um, that get serious about it, right? Because at that point, as you know, there wasn't a lot of seriousness. Who would do it, right? Who would ever hack a nuclear power plant? Or, <laughs> but it's the, the same means, right? Who would ever fly planes into the World Trade Towers, right? Now we knew people were out there trying to do that stuff. And, yeah. And over my career, over this last, um, you know, 20 years almost, you know, we have seen some some bad things, right? People are trying to, to do really, uh, really bad things to industrial control systems. Uh, so it's never too late to get very serious about it. And we're seeing a lot of those people, a lot, right? Like yourself, right? Like our good friend, Michael, that we were talking about earlier, you know, I mean, uh, uh, this people that have dedicated uh, and actually, actually realize the, the impact that can, uh, or the, uh, the impact to our environment, to people, to life, to, you know, to the way of life that we have, of what uh, a, an intrusion or a compromise of a control system can do, you know, and um, 
unfortunately. We've, we've seen some near attempts, but and, and I would say fortunately not the, the real Bhopal type of event that we realize can actually happen. Yeah. That keeps me up at night for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that chronological uh, date range there does make you a pioneer in this space for sure. <laughs> you're in that select group looking at this early on, and it makes sense where you're. You know what your your backstory is. You're you know if you're developing the systems and integrating things. And I had someone share once that the you know really understanding you know people training as uh, training wear the hacker hat and understand their disposition. He said just you should actually be wearing the developer hat. And then if you figure out how it works, you can see all these vulnerabilities just, just by the nature of how this stuff's architected. And so that probably right. set you up pretty well to have that fundamental years of uh, of the systems designs and how all they were being implemented uh, before you before you were looking at the, the, the cybersecurity risks associated with them. Exactly. Um, uh, as an architect, that's that's always been my viewpoint. Right. Try try to see the big picture. To try to see those 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 big pieces of processes that are going on. How data moves around the system. That's a good way to think about securing as well. And and if you do threat modeling, that's exactly what you do, right? You find out what the processes are, um, you know, what the data stores are, how data moves across these trust boundaries. Then you can actually find how to defend the, the system, how to protect it, how to design it so that it will be more resilient to compromise. But I, I don't know. I, I think I've always kind of been a systems type of a guy, right? Being a systems integrator earlier, you know, to learning how to put things together and especially large systems, how to how to wire them together, you get them all the way down to getting the uh, the connectors wired correctly. You remember the old, uh, you know, 1910 jobs, <laughs> RS-232, uh, RS-485, all that noise on those networks, right? So uh, that's the way you need to look at this. You know, it's not... It's not at the minutia, it's kind of more at that one step above, right? To say, where are those big processes happening? How do you talk to them? You know, where do you store the data, right? What trust boundaries do we need? So if we're thinking that way, then we'll put our security dollars in the right place. Yeah. That's kind of what I, what I try and kind of preach around uh, our neighborhood here as well. How, how long ago do you think it is that um, designing uh, process control equipment and processes themselves having cybersecurity be inherently part of the design phase instead of a bolt-on how, how far back are we going where that transition you know and, and are we fully transitioned to that today good question um and that's a, a major focus of the work i do in the standards bodies uh, 62443 uh, 4-1 is the um is the standard for secure by design you know Design it in, put it in there first, and and but by the very nature of that, that it's only since 2016, the uh, December, that it was actually released. Um, it, people are now getting on board to understanding the real value of having an SDL in place. Um, but it is so important. If anybody that's been in manufacturing knows, right, that without the right process, you're not going to have consistent quality. Right. So if you go anywhere in the world and drink a Heineken beer, it tastes like Heineken. Right. No matter where it's made, they, you know, that process they follow is exact and they're very good about doing it. Right. They're, the governance of their process makes it so the quality of that beer is going to be the same. Right. I, I like it. I good Heineken. But the same thing has to be with security. If um, you can't expect that if you don't have a process to produce quality product and security is definitely an attribute of quality. If 
if we're not looking at it that way, then we, we're already missed the boat, right? So these the processes that you could have in place with an SDL could be thinking about security at the very beginning of the design itself, right? And finding out what are the actual security requirements, what is the security context of this equipment, no longer trying to think of, well, you know, I'm going to wait and let somebody else put some firewalls and something around me and protect me. Come on, this is this is a terrible way to think, right? If we're not understanding that these these devices and these systems need to be able to be designed to protect themselves, right? Of course, you're going to have a lot of great hygiene and good networking stuff in place. And I, I believe in, in having all that stuff. Uh, you know, this cybersecurity framework, awesome, awesome stuff that you need to have processes and tech and procedures as well as your technology. But to think of how you're designing things, if you start right up front with security being the very first thing that you're going to address, then everything else falls into place. If you ever try and design it as the last thing, <laughs> right, or even try to say, well, I got a bunch of security to do, but let's save it till the end, all those interfaces that you're building into your product will now have to be re-engineered to, to actually and retooled to, to take in those security configurations. So that's something you don't want to do. And being in software for so long, I, I understand a rework. You don't want to do it. And you, so if you put those security pieces way up front, then everything, all that functionality that comes later is going to naturally inherit it all, right? And you won't have this rework. But in general, the I think 4-1 is a great standard. Um, I'm hoping to see the adoption across all the industry. And it doesn't matter that you have a product and it was designed a long time ago and you, uh, you know, you have to, to, to deal with what's going on with it today. Um, 4-1 still accommodates for that. And so does a good SDL that you're going to be using a lot of the same type of um, vulnerability assessments that you, that are part of that process, a uh, part of the design threat modeling that, that apply just as, as equally to a legacy device as it does one that's brand new. So you're in there, you're in the shop, you got the guts open, time to do it, time to do the re-architecture, put the bolts in up the top, and then deal with how you're going to need to change it later. And you'll find out it's not as difficult as you think, right? I know re-architecting is expensive. Yeah, it is, <laughs> right? Um, and in most cases, it is. But when you re-architect for security, it's not as, as bad as you think, right? But it, it's definitely a worthwhile investment. You don't want to sit there and play whack-a-mole with a legacy device, right? And that's all what you're going to have, right? You're going to, as people find other vulnerabilities, you're going to go fix the vulnerability and somebody's going to go find another one and you're going to fix that. Why not go from Jump Street, create your threat model, you know, do the right evaluations, put your requirements in place, use the standards, the best practices, things like that, and you will design a good tight system that can actually defend itself against aggression, you know, as we see as there today, right? It's definitely happening today. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it does. It, it gives me hope. I mean, I, I love uh, your sense of the, the area. It sounds like we're really in relative terms just crossing into you in the last few years, you know, where it's, yeah, it's a whole different psychological uh, viewpoint of where security from, from, from the beginning. Talk about in, in your career path, any mentors, I think a, a role that we, we, we hope to, to do more at with CSA is, is helping with mentorship. Um, has mentorship played a role in, in, uh, in your story? Of course, <laughs> you know, um, 
uh, like I said, Michael Asante been a friend for a long time. Uh, I certainly have learned a lot from him. Uh, I mean, certainly have lost him recently and I'm very sad about that. Um, Ernie Rakowski also, um, lost him, but, but he, we used to fight like cats and dogs back then, but we'd always resolve it with a, with a beer. But I would always seek out people, um, like Fabro, you know, the people that, that think out of the box, uh, are interesting to listen to, listen to talk and, and to what they're saying, you know, uh, certainly, um, so many of the instructors at, at the Sounds Institute, you know, I, I've gotten many, much training there as well. Uh, that uh, I, I just can't say enough how much that's helped me. Um, you know, Michael Howard, uh, Microsoft, uh, early days uh, of us putting together our SDLs back in 2008 timeframe. That's when we were first trying to do it. We were. It was really good that Microsoft opened their doors to their actual response center, right, for the security response center that was actually rolling out all of these uh, these fixes on a monthly basis. Uh, so how they did it, how, how they were able to make all this stuff work and not break so many people, uh, we got a lot of good information from that. So, um, But in general, in the control system world, there's been a lot of great names, yeah, you know, that that I've enjoyed knowing people like yourself, for sure. You know, everybody uh, from the Sundance crew, for sure. Um, you know, being able to Kevin Staggs from Honeywell and being able to share, share our uh, experiences and uh, the, our concerns across this industry. Um, I found that to be uh, an awesome thing that's happening right now. You know, that uh, the, 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 this new consortium that's coming together, that we're, you know, bringing in um, all the vendors to be able to share cybersecurity information. You know, um, this, 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 this idea that, that cybersecurity is not a marketing advantage. It's, it's something that it's a market, it's a problem of our market that we all need to address. Yeah. Right. And it's not going to be done by one person or one vendor. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, it's going to take a big effort, you know, a, a large effort of everyone moving together to come up with the right standards like the 62443 effort. You know, getting people to adopt what's happening there and to keep it going, because remember, security is a journey. Right. You have to keep working at it. Um, so all of the people that we've been working with in the standards bodies over the years and from the uh, from the asset owner committee, you know, the Johan Nyes out there for Exxon Mobil, really putting out um, the, 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 the viewpoints from the customer uh, as well as from the vendor and being able to share those ideas in the same environment has been really, really awesome. So I don't know, as mentorship, I think getting involved as a young person with the standards bodies today, uh, you're going to find a lot of value there. This is there's a, just a plethora of, of good experience that you can um, garnish and bring in and maybe hang your hat on, hopefully, and hopefully, and maybe the new ideas from younger engineers that are coming in with bright new ideas or thinking outside the box, you know, um, this, all these things need to happen, right? They need to happen in our industry and very quickly, right? And uh, the, the, this whole virus, what's going on today with the virus, I think we can have a lesson learned there, right? You know, that the way that the different labs around the world are sharing data about this virus, how they're going to combat it, you know, 
is wow, what a role model for security as well, you know, to yeah. be say, here's a problem, it's a problem of this industry, can you can you bring your expertise and solve this together? And if we start thinking the same way that uh, the global health organization, the World Health Organization thinks about that, then maybe we'll get these problems solved a lot faster as well. So, oh, anyway. I love your, I love your, your message, the silver lining in a, in a challenging time period. I, I think that's, I, I share your your belief that let's look for something good or some as many things good as we can out of this. And what can we learn from it? What can we apply to other parts of uh, of our our life, uh, professional and personal? And um, so I I love that you shared that. Let's talk about uh, on this career path. Let's go back real quick. He's talked about this may be one of those nuggets to pull out again um, about a, an engineer getting involved with the standards body. How does one go about doing that? So let's say I'm. One of our listeners is someone that says, oh, I want to do that. Well, what, what do they do next to try to do that? Uh, well, ISA um, is, the, is, is the group, ISA 99, but, the, but ISA in general, um, the, applying as a member of that and then through that membership, um, asking to, to be on one of those committees or, you know, one of the working groups. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that hard, right? Um, they're actually looking for good people to want to put their time in. Um, you know, you basically meet once or twice a week for an hour, hour and a half. You work on different parts of the standard. You, you work on creating the, either the verbiage for a new standard or the, the, the part about, up, you know, uplifting, giving the uplift to the old versions of the standard. As like I said before, security is a journey. It's always changing. Our threatscape is changing. And the way we thought about security 10 years ago is different now, right? I mean, before we, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we were thinking always perimeter, right? And well, let's, let's put all these firewalls and make a little bubble around ourselves and, and that's going to keep it safe, right? We know the that's dome. not worth it. Yeah, the dome. It doesn't work, right? Imagine if if your phone thought about that, thought about things that way, right? You would no. never be able to use your phone, right? I mean, you'd have to have a a sock be around you know around you so that you could actually use your phone. But your phone, the way people are designing today with the defense in depth type of ideas, you know, then these are what has to change the standards thinking as well. So we need those thoughts. That those those ideas we know it's evolving right we need to evolve the standards we need to build you know the the reference architectures or the right design patterns so when people want functionality they've got they've got great ideas right here's a new product let's get it out the door well let's take a step back <laughs> and when it comes to the authentication part the privacy part or, or making sure you know that this thing operates uh, the way I intended to Right. And from Michael Howard, the definition of a secure product is it does what it's supposed to do and nothing else. <laughs> right. I always keep that in mind. But the idea of getting involved with standards is, is a, a great way to be involved with the community and especially in industrial control systems. ISA 99 is dedicated to the industrial control system world. Um, so it is that real physical uh, kinetic type of system, systems that have kinetic impact. That, that can do serious damage if they're hacked. They have serious uh, consequences. Unfortunately, they're built to last for 15, 20 years, and uh, that's one of the detriments of security part of it. So we better do it right the first time, right? So you better be thinking about getting it really well or finding a way to make, make it updatable 
which is another thing, right? Because one of the big problems in our industry is certainly patching. So if you're designing so that you can update without having to affect the process itself, then you're, you're, you're thinking to the future. You're thinking of solving one of those big problems in your design itself. And it's not, it's not unfeasible, right? We have redundant systems forever that have had this. But they don't have the capability of actually updating one side and failing back over. They don't think of that in their use cases. But now those use cases have to be part of the design, right? So um, anyway, that's standards. As your your question, be involved with the standards body. If you have that that time, if you got an extra hour a week to to do that and to contribute, it's a great thing, right? It's a uh, very rewarding, but it's a lot of work and it's hard to get a standard out there. A lot of them take many years before they're finally approved. Yeah. You know, so you get that. Oh, great that's, advice. Anyway. Yeah, that's like an yeah. awesome plugin. So that's another another nugget of something somebody could choose to do. Um, any challenges that you recall on the way that you you know that are interesting from a, again learning experience uh, and and how you overcame you know that particular story that challenge? Uh, there's so many. I don't know where to start. <laughs> um, certainly the the mindset. You know that that control systems are. Um, you know, that are, are not connected to the internet and we don't have to worry about it or the fact that it's just hopeless. I've got, I get that, that, okay, they're going to be hacked. They're wide open. Don't worry about it. Put a firewall, unplug them, do something, you know, yeah. but it's not hopeless, right? There, there are some really cool technologies coming up that I've been, I've just been so privileged to be able to see some of these things that are going on today in technology. Uh, around security, you know, it's a, it's great to be, it's a great time to be there and to, to rethink the way things have been done in the past. So there's, there's a lot of space to do that, a lot of, a lot of room to go. Um, but, uh, but fighting those concepts or, or, or to say that, um, we've all, we've got these legacy systems that there's no way to really fix them. So let's do this. You know, we should just always worry. I'll let someone else to do the security part of it. You know that there's these are these are uh, or or the idea that that um, you should you shouldn't be even thinking about trying to compete with a hacker, a nation state guy, right? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. this is this is this is false thinking, right? We can definitely beat those guys. I mean, right here's a nugget opportunity. If those truths are out there. These these beliefs are held by stakeholders, both management, non-management, of what can be done and can't be done. Are old some old thinking, obviously in some places. How do you communicate? How do you get a paradigm shift or a mind shift? How do you how do you encourage that with somebody? What what communication techniques, topics, you know, word choice, you know, what what? How do you do it? How do you get people on board with this? Oh my gosh, I wish I had the the magic answer for that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be a millionaire probably, or <laughs> a billionaire maybe. I don't know. Uh, everybody looks for ROI. Right. And, um, and one of the real cool concepts that have just emerged, emerged recently is the idea of bundling the advanced technology with the idea of um, you're getting cyber, cyber resilience at the same time. Right. So by, by moving to technologies that are, are built with, uh, with security in mind or right at, at, at Jump Street, they're brand new, but have that foundational element you're able to sell ROI from a different perspective, right? So I think that's kind of a, a, an avenue that we have not explored in the security world, right? We're thinking always 
devices, security controls, and if they're not security controls, then they're countermeasures or, or other things that we can do from the security perspective. That's the way we think. We open up our CISSP book and we look at the domains and, uh, and we try to address those issues. But, but real people, when they, when they move towards, um, towards a more cyber resilient system, you know, it's like, when you buy your new car, you know, you're all of a sudden getting all these new electronic features that you didn't have before, you know, that all of a sudden it integrates with your phone and your, and your music and everything, you know, you get away from the, that 80, 90 automobile, 90s version of the automobile and moved into the 2000s version. And all of a sudden you're getting integrated GPS and all this kind of stuff. So uh, that technology landed in the car, right? And whether it's it's more safe or not, the movement toward that new car was because of this new technology. So imagine if you invent new technology based on the foundations of cyber and saying that, yes, here's brand new technology, but right at the root, it was designed from the jump street as uh, to be cyber resilient. Mm -hmm. Then you get the best of both worlds, right? The, the customer gets the new features, they got the new value, but at the same time, They've cleaned up a system that's more efficient, less energy consumption, you know, the less ability to be hacked because it has a reduced attack service and no longer uses these, uh, these, these protocols that are wide open and, or have a device with no authentication, uh, you know, or have user mode programs running through stuff like this, you know, they just don't do that anymore, yeah. right? The, the new thing. So, so combining um, value that way with cyber is one way and I, I think that was that's an eye-opener in our industry right uh, instead of saying the sky is falling or we're gonna you know blow something up or, or we get a lot of that you know for sure yeah. and that doesn't work right obviously it doesn't work uh, right we've no. seen fear on before FUD. FUD does not work <laughs> FUD does not work so unless you've got some good ROI there has been good ROI stories though especially for SDL is that um, you know the people or, or the, in the development organizations are starting to realize that they're putting out far less patches, um, not for cyber patches, but for normal things, right? The normal bugs that you would have because the tools of cyber inside of SDL clean up things that you know you don't even know how to reproduce half the time, right? You've got although it's a buffer overflow or or some no pointer dereference that we look at from a cyber perspective. From the 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 B and B perspective, the thing crashes, right? Yeah. And it's a, and it's something very difficult to reproduce. And next thing you know, the the customer is getting that crash, and you're going to have to go create a fix for it, reproduce it, and go send out a fix to them. Those things are very expensive, you know. So the tools of SDL help clean up the source much better. So the ROI people are seeing in the dev organization is bunch of a, a much less um, normal fixes that have to go out to their products. And so yeah. they're saying, yeah, bring it on. Let's, let's, let's do some more SDL. <laughs> you know, yeah. you just saved me a couple of million dollars this year uh, for, for doing your static code analysis and your vulnerability scan. So keep on doing it. Right. So, so that's worked to some extent. Right. Yeah. But, I, but I think this new idea of bundling ROI with real value, um, cybersecurity and real value, um, energy efficiency, things like that are, are, are really the, going to be the game changer of the future. So awesome. Well, that's a great, great share for, uh, for all sorts of listeners that might be listening in. So let's wrap up with looking to the future. What are you uh, most excited about on the horizon? And you might weave in there 
you know, if you were advising a young or, a, or, or somebody who's maybe entering the field, regardless of their age, area where they may find a lot of growth and opportunity if they wanted to start becoming an expert in, you know, in a slice of one of the one or more slices of this uh, arena. So what are you most excited about and where would you point point somebody to who's looking to where to where, where to start educating themselves? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I hate to be contrite about uh, about these these new technologies of AI, right? Blockchain, you know, um, yeah. uh, machine learning, um, all these these new type of technologies, quantum computing, right? And just um, mind-boggling new areas of technology itself that that blend a lot to cyber, right? I mean, if, if you're uh, thinking about blockchain or if you're thinking about AI and ML and applying that to cyber, um, yeah. great field. I mean, you're, you're just wide open for, for a good career, you know, keeping, keeping yourself employed for a good while, you know. Um, but I don't think people have understood the, the value in blockchain. You know, there's been some drawbacks in, in, in people applying it to the right uh, level, but, but there's still tons of value in that idea. And if you're moving in those directions. So, um, I don't know, the, uh, the, the, there are, are many different places, right, to, that, that you can plug in, right? The, Forensics. I, I enjoy forensics myself as as a field in, in in security that I think is is fascinating to me. It keeps me really on my toes, and you know it keeps me uh, wanting to get up in the morning and jump in and try to figure out what that piece of malware is doing. Uh, but uh, that's not for everybody, I don't think. But it is a a, a good field to always uh, you know keep in mind uh, if somebody would want to. But but. Today, there's a, there's a plethora of ways you can go, right? You know, whether or not it's industrial automation that you're going for, cyber is, is on everybody's mind. It's becoming a yeah. huge topic all the way at the board level of every big company out there. You know, we know the cost of a cyber attack um, financially uh, or, um, you know, reputation to a company and things like that. So it's not going away. And, 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 and as you know, there were like 3 million or so jobs short in this industry. So you'll always work. To me, uh, taking the CISSP course, right? Uh, uh, you know, understanding the different domains and, you know, that, that inch level deep across that, uh, that set to say, um, what is it I'm going to feel, uh, you know, that, that I have an affinity for, you know, um, maybe it's physical security, right? Um, maybe, maybe it's authentication, authorization type stuff or, or cryptography. Other, there's, there's so many different domains of security that, uh, that as a young person, you don't know until you kind of get your feet wet, right? So, yeah. um, it's, it's kind of been that way to me. I never, I, I actually did forensics right out of college as part of this electrical, electrical engineering firm. Whenever we didn't have a control system design, they would send me out on a forensics job, but not, not cyber forensics, but forensics, uh, you know, for insurance companies, stuff like that. But it's still, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, right? It's a whodunit type of a deal if you're into mysteries and, uh, and figure out, uh, you know, how something happened and, if you have that kind of a mindset that likes to follow those clues, so to speak, you know, Nancy Drew series or one of those, yeah. or, uh, you know, Midnight Express, or, 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 you know, all those kind of um, 
uh, of movies and, and themes. Forensics is a is a very interesting field to go into, you know. But 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 as an advice to young engineers, I would say you know grab grab the CISSP book, read it from cover to cover, or, or at least the first part of every chapter, and find out what makes sense to you. You know what what is it what feels interesting to you, and you find a topic there that does. Dive down headlong and yeah. then get yourself a course. Uh, can try it out, you know, put it on for a while, see yeah. how it goes. So, and, uh, I don't know. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> so. Awesome, awesome shares. Okay, now we're to my favorite part of the show, which is the Pivot questionnaire. So, if uh, anyone who knows me knows, I have been a big fan of James Lipton and Inside the Actor's Studio, a long running show, decades of running. Unfortunately, James Lipton has passed on. Uh, not that long ago. Uh, so the show continues, uh, but he always features at the very end of his interviews, this uh, questionnaire, the same 10 questions. Many famous actors have answered it on the stage with James. And so um, I'm using it. He borrowed it from a show before him. So I feel like I'm in good uh, in good hands of, of continuing to move, move this thing on from its original French show origins. So um, if you're ready, uh, we will we'll, uh, dive into this. Sure. <laughs> I'll give it a try. What is your favorite word? <laughs> Authentication. <laughs> that can be funny on many levels. Uh, what is your least favorite word? Uh, authorization. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? There's Those are all three different things that, uh, but, um, Emotionally, um, for certainly, I love my dog. <laughs> I love my wife. I love my family, for sure. Um, you know, that these things, uh, I love good friends. These things uh, go very deep with me. I, I appreciate good friendships. So uh, I would say emotionally, that that moves me quite a bit. And what's the other ones you want? <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. That, and, you know, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. music probably turns you on creatively as well. That's that's a good one. Uh, I love to listen to to good music. I really do. You know, I mean, I I, I listen to the bass going on inside of these tracks and everything, and and uh, and and I really like um, composing and and bringing material like that together. But but uh, you know, music has been a job in my past. Uh, you know, it's 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 been a labor of love, sort of yeah. to speak. I love to I love to play. And, and I love when ensemble happens, though, you know, I think there's a magic in ensemble that um, you can, can, can't find anywhere else, except when you're playing with, an, you know, some other musicians that are kind of on the same groove yeah. and, uh, and really communicating. Uh, and it's a spiritual thing as well. You know, it just it's just that. I mean, you can spend your whole life playing music and, and really never have this happen that much, right? I mean, but when it does, it's, wow, it, 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 it's, it's the thing, right? It's the thing that you really want to have happen. And, and yeah. it's everything moving together at the same time, somewhere up in the ether. It's not in your fingers. It's not in your mind. Uh, some people say it's in your heart, but I don't know. It's, it's somewhere there's something, uh, some some halo of activity going on between the musicians, and uh, and that's a that's a, a feeling that's that's worth uh, worth having in life as a musician. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. What what turns you off? Ooh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, um, you know when when you see people 
standing in the way of, uh, of ideas, um, good ideas. Every idea needs some sort of encouragement, right? Whether good or bad, right? And so, so a lot of times that um, an idea happens, and, and I've, I've been in this situation before, you know, where you have different engineers come to you and they want an idea and they want somebody to listen to it. And then you take them in front of a, you know, a much higher level group and all of a sudden, boom, we don't want to do that. And all of a sudden, they don't have that idea anymore. They just go away and they don't want to even think about it. So I hate that when, um, when ideas are not given the right, um, the, the due respect that they are, right? They are brand new things that have come out of the ether, <laughs> right? And yeah. because someone does, just doesn't recognize that or doesn't see the, uh, the future or, or have the vision that you do is, is, is a disheartening thing to, uh, just to an entrepreneur or an idea person, an ideal, a guy that's coming up with ideas. Why squash them? You know, just take them just a little bit farther. Let them, let them go a little bit. You know, it's just like fishing, right? <laughs> you know, you, you got to get that fly out there quite a few times and let it jump and, but you don't stop, right? You know, <laughs> the, the fish doesn't do anything bad to you, but, but you know, so, um, I don't know. That's kind of what, what, well, as a lifelong off, entrepreneur, you now have a, uh, a near and dear new place in my heart, Paul. That, that the, the, the quashing of uh, fragile new ideas it's uh you know that happens all the time and entrepreneurs inventors you know face that every day so uh <laughs> that's a great share thank you uh, if you have one and you're willing to share it what is your favorite curse word <laughs> <laughs> fuck <laughs> what sound or noise do you love it's a weird thing right i mean because you know, I, I I love the sound of my upright bass. I, I really do. I think it's it's awesome that that someone would would build something that out of wood, right, <laughs> and have some strings on it and a few things. But but it can make a sound that's so unique. It's so unique to itself, right? It's a it's a, the, the quality instruments are I, I love, right? The, the sound that they make, but put together with someone that's pulling that sound from them too, right? So, so um, I'm, uh, I love the sound of my bass, but I like hearing great artists bring that out of, uh, out of an instrument, you know, when, when they can make something. Um, but I have another sound that I like that is really odd. And um, because I spent so much time spraying lacquer, <laughs> You know, as I'm thinking about my studies, going to school, uh, you know, in college, I was a I was a spray painter, right? So I love the sound of lacquer coming out of a spray gun. Oh, so that's, love that. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's a weird thing to like, right? <laughs> personal to your to your journey for sure. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Oh, <laughs> yeah, fingers on a chalkboard. Um, you know. <laughs> Static. I I can't stand a, a shorted cord. <laughs> you know, somebody um, you know yanking the cord out of their guitar or something, and or, or any or a cord that has a short in it. You know, when you're a, when you're an electric guitar player, you're right. You know, and oh man, that's terrible. So uh, you know, it really bothers me. Go fix the cord, man, <laughs> or take care of your cords so that they last. Right. So I have cords that are over 20 years old. That you know. So. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a bad thing. <laughs> no, that makes sense too. That makes sense as well. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would like to be a doctor. 
I, um, I don't know, a doctor, you know, research scientist, um, you know, I think there's so much that needs to be discovered and, and prevented today. Um, you know, I'd like to, you know, find a cure for cancer. You know, I'd like to, uh, maybe one day I will study in those areas. I don't know, but, but I think that's fascinating, um, to, to be in, in, in biological research, especially today with, I guess, with our COVID going on. But, but I think there's a lot of different diseases that have not been addressed properly and they just need people to sit there and think and figure out the solutions for them. So, um, I said doctor, but because I've kind of, one of my first jobs out of school was, uh, uh you know, out of high school actually <laughs> was being a, an orderly in a, in a hospital and, so I was around medicine a bit, and I and I was really excited about it. You know that 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 people could be cured and taking care of people, and the, the whole idea of medicine and and surgery and stuff like that. It, it's very fascinating. I think I might have gone in that direction had it not it taken so long to get an education. And you know, I was out trying. I wanted to be working, and you know, I don't know. So I, was, I think I was supposed to be an engineer. So I, I did it. I'm not sorry. <laughs> so. And last but not least, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> Here's all the pre the friends I missed. Here they are. <laughs> nice to see them again. Awesome. Paul Forney from Schneider Electric, Chief Security Architect. Please uh, accept uh, thank you from everybody in the CSA network for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it, Derek. Take care and stay safe, okay?